0: What is the closest you've ever been to something great, like greatness? You met a celebrity. You, uh, you got to shake a president's hand or a former president's hand. You got to, you know what I mean? One of those things. Uh, there's a lot, there's categories of this kind of stuff. My brother and I, we, uh, we, we follow a band called Dispatch. Uh, you've probably never heard of them. If you have, you're a super cool person. They're an independent band uh, that you won't ever hear them on the radio, but their shows are huge. They, they sell out, you know, arenas and huge venues and things like that. My brother and I have followed them all around the country. We've been to Chicago to see them, to boston to new york uh but most recently they came to charlotte north carolina which was really cool because we didn't have buy a plane ticket and so we were like hey let's get the best tickets we can possibly get so we got front row center section tickets if you're a concert junkie like i am you know there's nothing like going to a show and sit on the front row i mean Feel the bass, right? Right in your chest. You can like touch the stage. You're interacting. There was a moment where Chad, the lead singer from Dispatch, I'm pretty sure he was just singing to me. Like, (laughs) and so I had to apologize to all the other people that were there because it was just me and him having a moment. You know what I mean? And so uh, I don't know if that's greatness or not, but you know what I mean? Proximity to greatness is a special thing. The closer you get to the real thing, the better it is. It's the difference between reading about. Let me take you on a journey, okay? I'm about to make you jealous here in a second. Ready? It's the difference between reading about what a peach tastes like or going in like June to like an orchard in Georgia and getting a little step stool and you reach up as the sun is setting and you grab the fuzzy little peach off the branch and it's just soft enough. You know what I mean? And you bite it and you can taste the sunshine and a little bit of peach juice dribbles down your chin. Mmm, you want a peach? <laughs> You see the difference? Proximity to greatness. When you're you're invested in it and you can like be there in it, it is so much different than hearing about it or seeing it from afar. And uh, maybe you've been in proximity to greatness in other ways. Maybe you've been in the front row of a, a professional basketball game. That's a pretty close to the action thing. So just on the other side of the glass at a hockey game. You know, and you get to hear the impact or see the action. Maybe you've gone to a book signing for your favorite author. And you got to meet them. And it's like, wow. You're, I thought you'd be taller. That's normally what you think. And you know, like you get, you get in the presence of something that you really, uh, you feel special about. It's this proximity to greatness. We're starting this teaching series today called Sacred. Uh, the idea of a life set apart for God because there is this opportunity that God offers us and it is to be in his proximity. God invites us into his presence into not only just his existence, but he also invites us into the work he's doing in the world. That's incredible. Better than any concert you could go to or any sporting event or any peach, no matter how fresh and how sweet, Like when you walk into the presence of God and and at least as much as we can on this side of eternity and to be able to be in what God is doing in this world. And so we're gonna spend five weeks unpacking this idea because there's this amazing opportunity for us to understand sacredness. And we're gonna sort of interchangeably use the word holiness. Uh, There are different and there's some nuances, but this idea and something that is sacred or something that is holy, it is something that is set apart for a very specific purpose. We learned this at a very young age. I have a son now who's a teenager, but when he was like one year old, he had something that was very sacred to him. It was about this big, it was a square, and it was a blue blanket and we did not leave the house without that blue blanket. Uh, we didn't go anywhere without that thing. I mean, you, you, and sometimes he'd fall asleep in one location and we'd pick him up and move him. He'd wake up and be like, bah! Until he was like two years old, like, where is it at? I can't find it. It helps to be smarter than a two-year-old. So, uh, fortunately, we have that going for us. And so, uh, one thing we did early on when we realized like this thing's hard to keep up with and it's apparently very important to him. We went to like Walmart and we found some fabric that looked just like his blanket, a big old piece of it. And we cut it into like eight little squares and we put one in grandma's house and one in the car and one in our bedroom, one in my pocket, one in a glass case that said in case of emergency break glass. You know, like, like we have them everywhere. And here's the deal, Th- this blanket was sacred to my very baby son, right? And. At- As a result, it became sacred to us. It became special to us. We treated it special. We always looked out for it. And so with that kind of little illustration, you kind of get the idea, roughly, of what it means for something to be sacred. It's set apart. It's important. It's got purpose. It's got meaning. And and we got to keep up with it. And we got to do things to know where it is and how to use it. And today, our goal is to look at, we're just going to open up this series. It's an introduction. And so we're just going to kind of uh, brush the surface of this idea of sacred. Because we wanna understand the idea of what it is for us to have sacredness and holiness when it comes to our relationship with God. Because life isn't all concerts and, and blue blankets. <laughs> uh, it's, there's so much more. There's a spiritual level that we've got to understand and we gotta plug ourselves into appropriately. And a big part of that is understanding what are the things that are set apart for God? Places, people, items. And an interesting little thing that we'll find throughout the course of the series is not only are there things that we can set apart for the service of God, but then when he looks at us, we are his little blue blanket. Like we're really special to him. He's going to great lengths to take care of us to look out for us and to make sure that we have what we need. And so uh, to jump into that idea today, we're going to be looking into the Bible as always for some of God's most important truth. If you've got a Bible, uh, grab it. We're going to be in the second book of the Bible, Exodus. Exodus. Haven't spent time in there in a little while, so we're going to head back to Exodus. Exodus is in the Old Testament of the Bible. It's the history of the Jewish nation and kind of how God prepared the world for sending Jesus. Uh, if you don't have a Bible today, feel free to look it up on your phone. Uh, we also have Bibles at the shelf by the door. Uh, by all, means if you need a good Bible at your house, you can keep that Bible. It's a free Bible. We give them away. Everybody needs a good, readable Bible. Exodus chapter three, and we're going to meet kind of one of the godfathers of understanding sacredness. Uh, His name is Moses. Moses, one day after chapter three, some day later, Moses is going to become one of the most famous names in all of the world. He is central to three of the world's largest Religions. He becomes a person who God is going to spend so much time with Moses that his face is going to actually glow, like is like illuminated, to the point where Moses has to wear a veil over his face to, to, because it's awkward. It's like, man, Moses, you're glowing again. And so he would wear this veil. It's really part of his story. Uh, there was the, Moses is the guy, you heard of the 10 commandments, right? Like Moses is the guy who goes up on this mountain to receive the 10 commandments. Moses' story is incredible. But none of that has happened yet. We're gonna meet Moses like, kind of on his first day at the job. And it's a story about Moses encountering God in his holiness and understanding a sacred place. So uh, Exodus chapter three, and we're starting at verse one. It says this, "'Now Moses, he was tending the flock of Jethro, "'his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. "'And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, "'where he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Quick timeout, Moses has an amazing backstory. If you don't know Moses' backstory, we did a whole series on the life of Moses, you can find it on our podcast, but just go back and read Exodus chapter one and two. It's amazing. Before Moses was a shepherd, which is where we find him now, he actually was like the prince of Egypt. I mean, he was like a son of, an adopted son of the pharaoh. So if you don't know that story, it's incredible. Go back and read it. He's been on a whirlwind. Dude's been on a roller coaster. Now I'm a shepherd. And as a shepherd, he fe- finds something. Verse two. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. But Moses saw that the bush, though it was on fire, it did not burn up. That's an important detail. So Moses thought, sometimes I love like ancient narrative. This is what Moses thought. I will go over there and see this this strange sight. I'm sure he thought, what? (laughs) What's happening? But why the bush does not burn up. Now Moses, uh, the language here is important. Uh, if you've ever sat at a campfire, you might've noticed something about wood. It doesn't last. You put wood in a campfire, it burns up. So a very key detail of the story, it was very small, just passes by. He sees this bush, it's on fire. Moses now has been a shepherd for a while. He's sat around a few campfires and he notices the strange thing about this bush is that it's not being consumed by the fire. What we have going on here is a miracle. At one point it says there's an angel of God, but then we're gonna find out that actually God's presence is dwelling here. Verse four. But when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am, because I guess that's what you say when a bush talks to you. Verse five, the bush says, and this is God's voice, he says, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. So... There is a great website called thebibleproject.com. I highly recommend it. It's, uh, they're just a, an animation studio, and their goal is to help make the Bible more accessible. So thebibleproject.com, check it out. Some you can trust your kids to be on all day. It's a, it's a great site. But they got a video about uh, holiness. And one of the things they try to do is explain Bible stories, explain the Bible, explain books of the Bible, and then they explain concepts in the Bible. And one of the things they describe is holiness. And, and they talk about this interesting thing that they call uh, the paradox of God's holiness. See, the thing about uh, God is that he's good. That's what he tells us about himself. That's what we experience in life. And when there's something good in the world, we talked about concerts and peaches earlier. What do you want? I want to be near to something good. We talked about close proximity to things that are great. But here's the paradox of God. Though, that, though God is good, he's also powerful and actually dangerous to us. This video on thebibleproject.com compares God to the sun. The sun is good. I mean, it brings life to everything on our planet. Everything, somehow, by receiving sunlight, uh, grows. And it's great, it keeps us warm, it makes days beautiful. The sun is good, but I think we all realize you couldn't go on a camping trip on the sun. You would die. In fact, an interesting thing they point out is that the sun, if if the, the analogy is that the sun is holy, what's interesting is the area surrounding the sun is also holy. In other words, it is set apart or it is unique. And if you compare this to God, it's an interesting thing. God is this powerful, good being. But you can't get too close to his presence. There are some factors in that. His nature, his holiness, his purity is not uh, compatible with our sin. And therefore, it's not safe for us in our raw human state to enter directly into the presence of God. This is a theme we see throughout the Bible. We're gonna kind of tap into it through some future weeks in this series. But it's an interesting paradox. And a paradox is like, it's a truth that seems like a contradiction, but the more you dig into it, you realize it's actually true. And so the area that God has chosen to put a lot of his presence in is this bush. There's a miracle happening. It's on fire, but it's not being consumed. He calls out to Moses. We're gonna find out he's got a purpose for Moses. But not only is the bush a sacred, holy area, the area around the bush is sacred and holy. And God gives Moses a really simple instruction. Take your shoes off. Take off your sandals, because the place where you are standing is holy ground, Now, I don't believe that Moses was directly in any danger at this point. However, we do see other places in in the Old Testament, especially, that when people get a little bit cocky about their proximity to God, it will cost them their life. But Moses does the wise thing here. He recognizes the greatness of God and he humbles himself. He takes his shoes off. Um, We find that Moses in this place, look at verse six. He says, God says, I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this moment, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Moses knows the history of his people. Now he hasn't had an encounter like this with God. There was this vague faith thing going on for Moses. You can kind of see that throughout his story. But he had heard the stories. He'd heard the stories of his great, 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 great grandpapa and great, great, Mm -hmm. great, 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 great -great -great, one more great grandfather. And These are these guys, Abraham and and Isaac and uh, and Jacob. And these were the fathers of the nation of Israel. And he'd heard the stories about what God had done for them. Miraculous things, amazing things, speaking to them, leading them places, showing them places. And so when Moses is introduced to God in this moment, he does the only acceptable thing. He just hides his face. And I want to pause right here because maybe you've been there. There's been a moment where you hit you hit a moment where you you recognize the presence of God. Like maybe not a, maybe not directly. Maybe like you don't feel, you don't hear the angels singing, you don't feel the warmth of the light, but but you recognize your place. You're like, okay, wow, I, I'm not worthy. I'm in a broken place, I'm in a hurting place, and, and your natural tendency is basically, either literally or, or metaphorically, to, to lower your eyes. I ran into a friend last weekend, yeah, last weekend. I was up at the Carolina Christian Youth Conference, and I ran into a guy I haven't seen in probably 10 years. I think I told a piece of this story last week, but I wanna tell the rest of it today. Um, this guy, man, I hadn't seen him in forever. He greeted me, big hug, and, and I had been kind of a mentor to him when he was in high school and helped him through some hard times. Uh, but I had heard through the grapevine that he just kind of fell off. Like he, he hit a point in his life though he was raised in a home that knew about God and, and knew about Jesus and knew the right things to do. He just kind of said, I don't, I don't need the presence of God in my life anymore. I'm gonna do whatever I wanna do. And it's the, the turn that many of us make in life sometimes, sadly, and so he had gone and, and he pursued drugs and alcohol and a life far from God and he had really messed himself up pretty bad. But here he is at this teen conference and, I, and I'm like, a Christian teen conference. I'm like, it's interesting to see you here. It's really cool. So I give him a big hug and we meet and, and we, we're catching up the way that you do you know, small talk when you haven't seen somebody in a while. How's things going, blah, 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 blah. And then he just drops the hammer. And he says, yeah, well, everything changed for me in September. Turns out that one day him and his, his wife, he's got married, he's got a couple kids now, we're hanging out in the house and their two-year-old ran out the back door And they didn't see him. You know, two year olds, they're slippery. They get out. And he ran out into the yard. He went through an open gate into the neighbor's yard. And my friend, who hadn't seen him so long, found his son in the neighbor's swimming pool. He had to dive in to save him. He attempted CPR, he tried everything. They called 911. All of a sudden, we were all crying. (laughs) And I'm like, man, this got real. And, and, and I felt his brokenness and we hugged and, and then he said, but no, that's not why I told you the story. He said, I told you that story because I, I realized while I was holding my son, that I was powerless. I'd never felt more powerless. And then I realized in that moment that I had been running from God for years. And I decided in that moment that I had to turn my eyes back to God. It was this moment where he realized his place and his proximity to God, at this point for him, was pretty far, and all he could do was lower his eyes. And so maybe you've been there. That's, that's why we have church. It's why the Bible exists, it's why this whole worldwide movement of Christianity exists, not so that we can argue about whose doctrine is better, and not so that we can have a cooler church service than someone else, or bigger attendance, or do this or that. Those are cool things, I guess. Actually, a lot of those things aren't very cool at all. But, um, but so that we can recognize our place with God. And that when we're down and our face is down and we're recognizing I'm not where I need to be, this beautiful thing happens. God reached into my friend's life and because he had had a background in Christianity and he knew about Jesus, he knew that what he needed to do was just turn his life back. And so he immediately began to reinsert himself in the Christian community. And that's why he was at the Carolina Christian Youth Conference. The guy now was a chaperone for their youth group, taking them across the state to worship God. And he said, it's hard every single day, but I'm finding this peace and this comfort because the presence of God is back in my life. We hit these moments where we just have to look down and then we have to look back up and say, God, what do you want from me? This is what happens with Moses. We get to verse seven. There's a lot going on in Moses' life at this point. Uh, his people, uh, we call them the Jewish nation. At this time, they were called the Hebrews. These are also the Israelites, same people. They had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years, okay? That's the history. That's, I'm just condensing a bunch of history into a couple sentences. They had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years and they were hurting. Now, Moses, because of the circumstances he was in and the series of events, he actually ended up, uh, he was out, As a shepherd now so he He wasn't with the rest of his people but he was hurting for his people he's crying out to God on behalf of his people and the people the common phrase was that they had been crying out to God and they were still in slavery and this is what verse 7 says it says that the Lord said this is still I guess the bush the voice from the bush he says I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. If you wanna know what all that's about, read the rest of the Old Testament. It's all in there. Verse nine, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached my ear and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And so now go. Remember, he's talking to Moses. Go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. A couple things I gotta address here. First, I have thought about this a lot and I cannot explain why God waited 400 years to deliver the Egyptian slaves. Like I, and you look at that and you're like, oh, I mean, it seems like he could have just prevented the whole thing. I don't know. Here's what I have observed, is that God is a good father I try to be a good father. I'm not comparing myself to God by any stretch in fathering. But what I've learned is sometimes one of the best things I can do for my kids is let them struggle. Because on the other side of the struggle, I can come in and be like, are you ready to listen now? My hunch on the Israelite nation in the 400 years is that God knew it was gonna take about 400 years for this people, for this nation to get to a point where they were ready to listen. I don't know. You can wrestle with that too. By the way, it's okay to wrestle with the Bible. It's a really good thing. That means that you're leaning in. It means you're hearing the story. It means you're finding out who God is. But this is, that's, my, that's my take on it. That's where I am on that. But 400 years, and this is the time. So let's not whine about the 400 years. Let's go, whoa, God is here now. He's here to rescue. He's got a plan. But this is the other thing. I'm Moses now. I'm listening to the story. He's like, hey, you've hurt our people. Great. Oh, you're going to come rescue us. Great. And then Moses is like, okay, what now? And God's like, so here's the plan I want you to go talk to Pharaoh. Oh, that's awesome, that's great. Wait, what? <laughs> Me? Again, go read the first two chapters of Exodus, but you'll find out that Moses didn't have a whole lot he wanted to say to Pharaoh, okay? They, he's in trouble with Pharaoh right now, all right? But God comes to Moses, who was uniquely gifted for a number of reasons because of his upbringing and all this stuff. But what, what we find is Moses, dude with his head down, sandals off, humble as can be, and all of a sudden, God goes, guess what? You're in proximity to greatness. Guess what I got for you? A mission, now, I don't know about you, but when I, when I approach God, I've had several moments in my own worship life or when I'm out in nature or when I, a lot of times when I'm preaching, you might see me in moments when I'm preaching, I'll just be like, whew. It's because like right then I just got sucker punched by the Holy Spirit and I'm feeling it, okay? And I've had those moments. I've had those moments where I felt so low and my face was to the ground only to realize that what God really wanted me to do was to get up and serve him. But what I'm thinking is, I just need to stay down here for a minute. Like, I need to humble myself and I need to be a little grub under the ground and that's what I need to do. I need to stay down here. God tells Moses, now go. And I want you to tell some things to Pharaoh. Moses says, verse 11, "Uh," say, what? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, well, I will be with you. This will be the sign to you that it is I who sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And then God commences to spend some time teaching Moses a few tricks and showing him how powerful he is because he said, listen, I get it. This is crazy. You've probably never spoken to a burning bush before. Um, I'm gonna be a little bit patient with you. So he shows him a few things. And he says, listen, I want you to go, but I want you to understand. You're not gonna be alone. I'm gonna be with you. Now, here's the deal. I'm gonna stop the story right there today. We're actually not even gonna pick up the rest of Moses' story in this series. I don't know yet. I don't think so. That's not my plan. What I wanted to do was to take us on a journey with a guy who one day we we understand is gonna be great. He's going to shape so much of, uh, of even Christianity, by some of the things that he laid down. But, but I want us to go to his first day on the job, that first day when he recognized the presence of God, the first day where he had to take his sandals off, that very first day, and ask ourselves a simple question: Every one of us, because we're all in different places in this room, and that's totally fine. What does it mean for me to live a life set apart for God? I want to read you a scripture and share a couple of thoughts, and then we'll go home and think about it for a week. Uh, in Romans chapter 12, and I don't have it here, I'm going to look here. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse one. This is the, the book of Romans. Paul is the apostle, uh, and, and, he, and he's writing here uh, this huge treatise to the Roman church. And when we get to chapter 12, we realize that there's like a, a big shift that has already happened in the book of Romans. And in chapter 12, we get to this place where Paul's ready to kind of give this big... Um, this big encouraging speech. And like, this is what you need to do with your life. And so this is what he says. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, okay, because God is merciful. Now, I gotta pause there because you might be here this morning and you don't believe that God is merciful. Like, and that's a legitimate place to be. You've been beat up, you've seen brokenness. You just heard the story I told about my friend that I met last week and you're like, how would that guy turn his heart back to God? I don't even understand that. Like, a lot of people experience pain and their response is to be mad at God. Okay, and so, That's reasonable, that's acceptable. We see in scripture, we see people who get upset at God. King David in the book of Psalms all the time is just like, God, have you left me? Have you forsaken me? Are you gonna leave me out here to ride against my enemies? But the more we lean into God's story, the more we realize that even in our brokenness, even in our hurt, even in our doubting of God, he, just like he said to Moses, he he doesn't leave us. He's right there alongside us. And so if you're in that place, you're like, uh, in view of God's mercy, um, I, I can't view God's mercy from where I'm sitting. I have a couple of suggestions, but my main suggestion is this. Spend some time with our church family. Just hang out with us. Come back next week. Don't make Sunday morning the only thing that you do, but maybe that's a start. That's a great start. Because what you'll start to see is that the stories of what's happening in our our little community here scream the mercy of God. And we get to see, man, God is showing up over here. God is showing up over there. And as you lean in and you begin to trust God, you'll see that in your own life. So if if you're still in that little place, I would just encourage you, hear the rest of this verse, because this will be for you soon, okay? But maybe you can pick it up later. All right, let's go back to that verse. Romans chapter 12, verse one. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. In other words, my body, my life, offer it to God as a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament system, like sacrifice meant like, you would slaughter an animal. God's like, no, I'm not trying to slaughter you. I'm actually trying to give you life. And that's even better. Would you rather have, you know, a, a, a living friend or a friend that's no longer with us? I mean, you want to be with them, all right? He wants us to be a living sacrifice. Offer your bodies as living sacrifice. This is your true and proper worship. Okay, guys, listen. You ever wonder, like, what is worship? Like, what am I supposed to be doing? Is it these songs we sing? Is it the setting up of the chairs? Is it the serving in the community? Offering our bodies as a living sacrifice is true worship. A life set apart for God. Again, this is just the introduction. We're gonna dive in so much deeper. We keep on going. Verse two. So this is a pattern. This is is a, a, a kind of a tutorial. So do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. What does it mean to live a life set apart for God? First of all, we make a decision. I don't want to conform to this world. Like, there's a lot of things in this world, and everything's yelling at you saying, You should be like this, you should do that. You don't have to fit into that mold, but be transformed, changed. Metamorphosis, be changed. How? By the renewing of your mind. I just taught this passage to our middle school small group at my house a couple weeks ago. We talked about the renewing of your mind as being a lot like a sponge. And if you've ever like cleaned a nasty floor or washed your car with a sponge, and you got that bucket of soapy water and you wash, 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 sponge gets dirty, what do you do? Put it in a bucket and you wring it out. And when you pull it out, it's a little cleaner. Wash, 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 wring it out. Now let's imagine you had a filthy, dirty sponge and your only goal was to get the thing clean. Fresh water, ring it out. Fresh water, ring it out. Fresh water, ring it out. The process of transforming by the renewing of our mind is this idea that our mind, like a sponge, soaks in all of these worldviews and thoughts and truths and lies and all these things from everywhere and they soak in there and they get lodged in there. We gotta begin this ringing out process. Part of it is not conforming to the pattern of this world. Living a life that's set apart. I'm not gonna do this stuff. Part of it is pouring in the fresh water. Guess what Jesus calls himself? The living water. And the more we interact with Jesus and the more we get in closer proximity to his goodness, the more that will start to ring out the bad things. Now, are there gonna be some little dirt and mess lodged in there? I can tell you from experience, yeah, at least so far in my life. But the more we ring it out and the more we seek God's righteousness and his holiness and seek to get into his presence, the more we're being transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing perfect will what do we do when we get this opportunity to live a set-apart life well moses saw a burning bush i hope you get to see a burning bush it would be awesome you should totally instagram that it's more likely that you'll encounter god's presence in a moment like this even more likely on your own driving in your car to work sitting with your family, and there's this moment where you have just become aware of God's presence. And you're like, I just, I just need to seek that. The first, there, the first thing is recognize God's presence. Recognize it. When we wanna live a life that's set apart, we've gotta recognize God's presence. And the second thing is to respond. Respond to God's presence. First thing Moses did was he took his shoes off. And we're gonna talk over the course of the next few weeks of different things we can do, places we can set aside as, as uh, sacred and, and, uh, and actions that we take and habits that we form and all these things. But these physical things we do with our body, they communicate something spiritually to God that I'm ready, I'm ready. Uh, I've got friends who take their shoes off anytime they're at church. Be- not because like, you know, we're in Japan and we have to do that. No, it's because they want a physical reminder of what's going on. And so they pull their shoes off. And, that's, and every time they realize, wait, my, my shoes are off. <laughs> oh, that's right. I am, I am in proximity to the presence of God. And he's good, but he's also dangerous. If I'm not on his side, if I'm not on his, uh, I'm not seeking his holiness, not because he's mad at us, but because his holiness isn't compatible with my sin. Recognize and then have some sort of response. And then I think the other thing is this, that we take day by day that we start pushing ourselves towards the front row at the concert. I wanna get closer and closer to the stage. I wanna get closer and closer to where God is. Not because by doing good things, God will bless me, no. But because, man, I just wanna honor God. That's the sacred life. None of us are killing it right now. That's why grace is good. That's why Jesus is here. That's what the majority of most of the rest of the talks in this series are gonna make sure we understand. But it's gotta be our desire to recognize and respond to the holiness of God. Let me pray for us this morning.